Transfer targets next? Yeah. That's uh, the lifeblood of any club is, you know, getting the new guys in and who are they and who's available given the timing of, you know, the window and, you know, contracts. It's it's just a classic merry-go-round from summer to summer. And so it's 10 weeks this go-around. Uh, the season starts in six weeks, give or take. So there's going to be a first month of the season. There will still be most likely in-goings and outgoings from different clubs. So it's exciting uh, to know that there will still be adjustments made because we still need it. It's known that we have needs a defensive mid, ideally a right back and a backup striker. And I think that those are probably the rankings of need you know you could probably switch back up striker and and right back as well but defensive mid all signs point to um pierre Emile webier joining us from everything i've seen i don't see it as anything of a negative transfer when you're on spurs platforms and spurs twitter it's easy to go down pathways where the negative opinions arise and feed into each other and they would have you believe that this guy has never kicked a football in his life and (laughs) shouldn't be he's always been a good player correct and so we are still operating under the assumption that we can make another big splash signing this summer when we simply can't do it with the revenue that we're expecting and just the limitations of what coronavirus has instilled on the transfer market to begin with. And so I feel as though his skill set and his physical profile and mental profile, more importantly, will be a positive addition to our midfield and unlock other players to move further forward. If, yeah, if you guys pull it off, which I think you will, it, it, it's just a classic Mourinho signing. It's he, he does it at every club that he goes to. He did it with Modic at our club, right? He gets a seasoned footballer that he knows will take direction well, can be a leader on the field, and will go out there and make every other player around him better. And uh, I, I think he'd be a great fit for you guys' club. And again, just a classic Mourinho signing. So yeah. Mourinho is very much about abstract things. And you can just point to that word mentality. Mentality is something that is chosen. It's not an accident. And that's why Mourinho has such high standards of personal conduct for his players, both on and off the pitch. Because he realizes that it's not an accident that these guys are at the top of their game to begin with. They are professional footballers who have been plying their trade since they were young and they've wanted to be the best. What makes these talented professional footballers truly into the best is the mentality that they choose to take on knowing that willpower is something that is consciously enacted and it's difficult because it's a battle out there and the other team wants to do to you what you want to do to them and so that's why in the modern game there is such a priority and such an importance placed on cool heads. Cooler heads always prevail. If you can't keep a cool head in the middle of the park because you don't have the right profile of player, 
then that's where you see goals leaking. And Oybier is one of those unapologetic, no-nonsense, hard-nosed guys that wants to exert his will in those 90 minutes. If you're a Spurs fan and paying attention to the upcoming documentary All or Nothing that's going to be released on Amazon Prime. Which Mourinho won't be watching, by the way. He won't be. He's not really (laughs) big into, you know, seeing how he's portrayed. There's a snippet where there's some choice words that I can't repeat on here where he talks about the need to purposefully impose yourself on the other side for 90 minutes. What else are you doing out there? What else are you doing out there if you aren't consciously choosing to devote yourself to not only the real, physical, tangible things that you can do well, but what is the mindset behind that that can fill in those little gaps and make the difference in those relevant challenges and interplays that happen all over the pitch, especially, again, when you are dealing with top six sides, where every single involvement, every single challenge can be an either-or scenario that leads to a chance on goal. In a nutshell, like you said, he is a classic Mourinho signing. He will, I think, actively be looking forward to this upcoming education and tutelage under a guy who still has that pull on players that are a little bit more old school minded. Yeah. Oh, completely. Completely. Um, I know we talked about Jan leaving earlier. Do you feel like you guys need to go out and get a center back? Not even necessarily a starter, because I'm assuming you're probably going to go with Sanchez and Toby. But and, Toby's also getting up there in yeah. age two. He's a couple years from turning into wherever Tongan's at right now. So. Correct. And Eric Dyer just signed a new contract yeah, until 2024. Forgot about him. And going along with that was his stated intent of becoming a center back. As people may know about Eric Dyer's career, he's had a lot of versatility between defensive mid and center back under Pochettino, and in addition for England call-ups as well. And that can be a blessing and a curse, where that can be an absolute benefit for your club and your side in terms of knowing that you can plug into different situations, but it can also be a hindrance to your own development. And so for a while, he seemed to really be convinced that he wanted to be a central midfield player in the Premier League. He always seemed to step slow to be that profile of player that he wanted to be, which going back to the Pochettino years, he went on record saying that he believed that Dyer could be one of the top English center backs if he were to choose to focus on that Mm -hmm. as his position of choice. And so I think that, again, you're seeing another Mourinho type, Eric Dyer, you know, kind of classic hard man raised to kind of be a no-nonsense type and also the Portuguese connection as well you know coming from Sporting Lisbon uh, coming to us in the summer of 2014 I feel as though he has been a player that has very obviously benefited from Mourinho being at the helm well and I'll just add it's obvious to me that Mourinho rates him because both summer transfer windows that Mourinho was at United 
there were talks about him trying to get Dyer from you guys. And so you know it's a player Mourinho likes. I think you hit the nail on the head of he needs to solidify that, and he obviously is outwardly stating that and signing the new contract of saying, yes, I want to be a center back. Make me a center back. I think that's where I'm best at. He wasn't bad as a defensive midfielder at all. I've always liked him as a player. It'll just be fun to watch him develop and you know solidify and, and get that role because obviously there's going to be playing time up for grabs this next season and moving forward. So. Yeah. He so he will be in very much the rotation for starting center back pairing moving forward. And then there's Toby, there's Davinson Sanchez, who I believe will benefit from having a consistent partner more than anything else because he's always been slotted in with different partners throughout his stay. And if you look at his first season with us in 17-18 when we got him from Ajax, you saw the profile of player that we were pursuing. He is incredibly physical. He knows how to make a tackle. Again, as a center back, you don't want your center back relying on tackles for his defensive involvements because usually that means his positioning was off. However, when you do have the modern pacey forwards, he does allow you to counteract their effect on your back line because he can keep up with their speed. So we have Dyer, Sanchez, Alderweireld, uh, Jaffet Tangenga just signed a new contract as well through mm-hmm. 2025. I'm really excited for him. Mourinho pegged him for getting into the first team when he first arrived. Really knew how to kind of stroke the ego a little bit because he had in last summer's International Champions Cup tournament marked Ronaldo when we played Juventus and did well. And so Mourinho's first day, his famous first training video that was released, went up to Tanganga and said, make him known. He marked Ronaldo. So he's one for the future. He's not full on starting yet. We may go after a center back Mm-hmm. This summer, it's not a priority. Mm-hmm. I think if the deal is right, we may. I have seen really the biggest rumors I've seen are the Schalke center back Otsan Kabak and then the Freiburg center back Robin Koch, both Bundesliga center backs. I, in all honesty, can't tell you what their profiles are. Yep. However, the fans that post online. They say that they are valued guys in the club and are obvious starters. So I'm not going to project anything onto these guys, but those are really the few rumors I've seen of any sort of substance. So Because, it's, again, it's not a top priority. Yeah. Defensive sure. mid, right back, and backup striker. Gotcha. Um, so those would really be the only two guys I've seen on our radar that could potentially come in this summer. But, again, with funds being tight... I don't see them allocating too much toward that. Yep. It's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, Mourinho sometimes pulls those kind of weird, like, things out of the hat in the transfer window and uh, how he tries to manipulate, you know, the squad with the funds available and everything like that. Quick plug as a backup striker, I'd love us to get Callum Wilson from Bournemouth. And honestly, I've wanted him for a few seasons. I always thought that he was the the right level of striker to give legitimate minutes to while also giving him a step up as Mm -hmm. well. And the fact that he's English as well is a plus, yeah, too. Yeah, it's, it's funny you brought, uh, brought him up because uh, when we were in search of a striker in January and we ended up with uh, Igalo, we were looking at Joshua King from Bournemouth, who was, uh, is Norwegian, so obviously has a connection to Ole. But uh, 
was a youth player at United as well. And uh, I heard it was just pricing and all of that. But, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where you balance of like, do we go after this young striker in hopes that like he can fill this role or do we need a seasoned guy to just come in and, and, and back it up? And, uh, you know, I think Ighalo obviously worked out for us. And being a United fan his whole life and everything like that, it's cool to see someone get to fulfill a dream like that and then be successful at it as well. But, uh, yeah, you guys have certainly needed a quality backup striker for quite a while. And uh, we've talked numerous times about the Jansen thing and all of that. And, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes it just doesn't work out. So, And I think that's the toughest thing about being in a league as competitive as the Premier League is. And as a United fan, you know, you see naturally because it gets clicks and it is what it is. You know, you see the most absurd headlines and rumors every single summer about all these players and we're looking at all these guys and all of that sort of stuff and uh honestly it's annoying as a fan uh, that has to be overwhelming well yeah and it, it gets to the point and uh me and your older brother matt have got to the point the last couple of years where it's like dude until united is posting a picture of them holding a shirt like who cares? You know, I know we're a competitive club. I know we have money to spend. We're going to try and get the best players possible to fit into this squad. You know, I have confidence. I have confidence in the board and everyone there. And uh, I know Woodward takes a lot of a lot of abuse. And, uh, you know, I've been behind that <laughs> a couple times myself. But you look at the the players that he's brought in, and um, I, it's hard for me to complain, man. You know, sometimes they're slow and the deals take a long time. But you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff. So I think when we're looking at, for me, like when we're looking at strengthening our squad this year, I feel like our two really big needs are a defensive mid and a young center back. I know there's a much bigger name out there that um, is getting plays in the rumor mill right now um, that obviously I would welcome into the club with, with open arms, but he's not a center defensive mid or a center back. And that is the uh, the young England starlet, Jaden Sancho. A bright star in Europe, and any club that gets him in the next few years will be absolutely <clears throat> ecstatic to see how he performs for them. Yeah, and uh, you know we talked about him a couple episodes ago, and uh, you're getting a young player that had 20 goals and 20 assists in the Bundesliga. Or I guess, I'm sorry, not just Bundesliga, but all, all comps. And uh, he's... A promising, again, young English kid. Uh, The fact that he was at City and Pep let him go makes me want him even more. Um, You know, just for the revenge factor part of it. But uh, with the emergence of Mason Greenwood, I didn't feel like right midfielder was that much of a need or right winger was that much of a need for us. But that's also Mason Greenwood playing out of his natural position because he's a striker, you know? So if Sancho comes, I'll leave it to Ole to figure out you know, and we were kind of joking before we started here. It's a good problem to have, right? And uh, you need as many weapons as possible. The other name that I was kind of surprised to hear about, but again, would welcome him with open arms and it would just add to the arsenal up front is Raul Jimenez from Wolves. And uh, that would be an amazing striker pickup for any side in Europe. Yeah. And uh, I just, the guy has proven himself the last two seasons and, uh, Again, I don't think he would come to United and start right away with Marshall and Rashford there. But, you know, if they figure out some sort of formation where we can play with two strikers, you start talking about, you know, a Greenwood and Rashford or Greenwood and Jimenez or Marshall and Rashford or Marshall and Greenwood or, you know, you have these options. And when 
you're a club that finishes in a European place. You're playing 60 matches a year. You need weapons, and you need a lot of guys to be able to play a lot of matches. And uh, I, again, I think Jimenez would be an amazing signing for United. But again, for me, I think it's center defensive mid and center back. And I just, you look at Modic, and I know he got the new contract, but I honestly, that's one that I disagreed with. I just, he had played terrible all season. He played better after the restart, but then he fell off again these last couple of matches. And he's just, again, at one time a great player, kind of a Jan situation, and he's just not that anymore. And he's still got some years left in him, but to me, can't be that dominant center defensive mid that we need. I honestly don't have a wish list for that um part of me wants to go youth but we kind of already have that in mctaname so i i don't know if we go after someone a little more experienced that can kind of be that anchor right there and then be able to free up pogba to to be the pogba that we all know um he can be it'll be interesting center back honestly man i think we can look at one club and there's two options and that's rb leipzig in kanate and There you go. Thank you. You're always better with the pronunciations than me. (laughs) And honestly, I would take either one of them. Well, we don't need both of them. I think they're both, they have their own unique skill sets. But uh, we have a little bit of a French connection at the club right now. And I think it would be great to go out and get either one of those guys. I think they're both phenomenal young center backs. And, uh, you know, Leipzig is by far one of my favorite teams to watch in Bundesliga. And part of it is watching those two guys play. I think United's proven, especially if we're getting rid of the likes of like a Phil Jones or um, Marcus Rojo that just we, we all know, we've known for years, don't belong there. Go for youth. I think Lindelof and Maguire made a really good pairing, especially when we got consistent and kind of the dire situation that you talked about, or uh, Sanchez, I'm sorry, where you get that pairing and they start being able to play off each other and the confidence grows. And, you know, I, I won't repeat the defensive stats that we had this year, but they were good. They were impressive. We improved. So um, I don't know if Lindelof is a long-term answer, but I would love a young guy to come in there and be able to push him. And I think both of those options would be amazing. So it's going to be interesting, man. Just like I said for Spurs, it's just going to be interesting who we uh, who we go out and go. I think the and this isn't a knock on you or your club. I think we both know the financial situation at United's a little bit better. Um, they'll be able to spend money this summer. It'll be interesting to see. You know, there's been the the talk of COVID discounts and all this stuff of clubs that are you know in need of money. Um, I've heard that's not the case with Dortmund and Sancho. It's going to be interesting if we can go out and get some, you know, kind of bargain finds that are quality type players that we could add to the squad. But, uh, you know, it's I get excited every transfer window because, again, I follow a club that I know is going to invest. And uh, I always love seeing new players come in and, and see how they develop. Yeah, it's again, because the club itself will always last longer than the players that you love that wear the shirts and it's 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 a bittersweet relationship i think that every fan has with their club because we love the club for what it is but then we wind up loving it even more because of the guys that play for the club and then they move on whether it's due to aspirations or limitations of age or form and then new guys come in and then they wear the shirt and then they keep the torch alive and then it reinvigorates your love of the club and yeah it's a little bit wistful in a way because you build these attachments to players and then they leave because they have to and it constantly reminds you of the fact that 
you can't be attached to these guys as much as you enjoy who they are as people and what they contribute. There's always the potential that they move on and that they go somewhere else and wear another shirt. And that's how it's always been. It's, again, it, it's refreshing because, again, it reminds you of the fact that you support the club yeah. more than anything. Yep. It's easy to get distracted by the fact that you support the players, but then it's like you have to zoom out. It's the club. Well, and it's it's funny how uh, you can go from hating a player because of the squad that he plays for. And I'll give you a great example. It wasn't a player that I would ever knock on talent, Right. But he played for a club that I didn't like in Arsenal. And it's Robin Van Persie, who I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And then he comes to United. And the first year he's there, I'm buying his shirt, right? And then he helps us win our 20th EPL championship. And he is a legend at this club, even though he played three, four seasons, you know? It's just funny how quickly it goes from like, God, I hate that guy because he plays for Arsenal too. Sweet, I'm so happy we have Robin Van Persie. You know, it's odd. Yeah, I was, while you were speaking about you know, center backs of the future and whatnot, it reminded me of an athletic article that had just kind of uh, registered on my radar. Uh, and it was written earlier this month by Michael Cox. And he talks about specifically the Leicester City partnership of uh, Suyunchu and Johnny Evans, who uh, we don't need to talk about Johnny no. Evans. He had yeah. his negative effects on both of our clubs and the last two weeks of the season should have been sent off against Spurs. And then he rightfully was sent off against United because apparently that thin ice just couldn't hold him anymore <laughs> and uh, the skates were a little too sharp. Yeah. So they talk about, I should say Michael, talks about the fact that, all, again, not everything gravitates toward poles, but there are kind of two archetypes of center backs, and that's the dog and the cat. And the dog is the one that attacks and goes for the ball and wants to make the immediate impact on it and doesn't mind the fact that even if that isn't very organized and he might have to go right back in for another involvement, that's just a style and he enjoys it. The cat archetype is the one that sits back, is more tactical, a little bit calmer, and waits for the window of opportunity when the ball presents itself or the opponent makes a mistake. And so you guys, I think, had an amazing representation of that in Vidic and Ferdinand. And I think that any top club needs that balance of the tenacious ball winner who will go out and take on the opponent who dares to try and get a touch of the ball Mm -hmm. in his half. And then the one that just knows when to strike more than just knowing that he wants to strike. And so that is always a battle for every club, is how do you get that right balance at the heart of your defense? And we're just going to have to see. Um, Yeah, and uh, thank you for mentioning a a great, one of the greatest center-back pairings in all of football. Not only... Easily the best for United ever, but one of one of the best pairings to ever exist in football. And uh, it's funny to me to think back of the day that we bought Ferdinand, and it was a record fee, and it was thirty one million. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you think about the prices of footballers nowadays, and you just—I I just remember like people were losing their minds. They're like, "How dare a club spend thirty million dollars on one player?" And now. You know, we have Chelsea buying a goalkeeper for 75, 80 mil that sits on their bench and they're getting rid of, you know? Liverpool, what they spent on Van Dyke, you know? And rightfully so, he's a quality center back and he's been a great player 
for them, but it's just insane how quickly it's all changed. You know, I, I could still remember the day we signed Rio. So uh, I don't know. It's uh, I loved both of those players. I really did. I don't even think Vidic was that highly rated coming in, and he just turned out to be an absolute star. So yeah, you got him. You got to Rio from Leeds. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah, he was <coughs> making the the English circuit. Started his career with West Ham. Went on loan to Bournemouth, and then stuck with West Ham, transferred to Leeds, mm-hmm. was with Leeds for two seasons, went to you after two seasons at Leeds, and then was with you for 12 years. Yeah, absolute legend at the club. Still yeah. one of my favorites. So, yeah. so and, and I think that's kind of why everyone likes the transfer market, is because we all want to believe that the next signing that we make is the next potential club legend mm-hmm. to wear the shirt. And that's, again, why you need fresh blood. Because you need to give players the chance to become a legend. Because in this short life, going back to mentality, if a player is choosing to take on the mantle, the burden, the yoke, whatever you want to call it, of the responsibilities that go along with the big club, then you need to give them that opportunity and see if they can separate themselves from the rest so that you might potentially witness them make that path with you. And I think that's a big you know, draw of this sport is that it's so natural, it's so organic. You can see players just have meteoric rises in short times and either stay that way or they'll drop off. But that's why you have to keep watching. No, so true and very well put. I was doing a little research here because the Leeds thing... I remembered Ferdinand being a West Ham man. I didn't remember that it was Leeds. But as soon as you said that, that brought up another memory in my mind because we bought Eric Cantona from Leeds in the early 90s who turned out to be an absolute legend. And he was also someone who wasn't rated very high. And I just looked it up. We bought him for 1.2 million pounds. 1.2 million pounds. And for probably three or four seasons, he was the best player in the Premier League and uh, an absolute animal out on the pitch. But it's 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 kind of those things of, you know, sometimes it's a Jaden Sancho where everyone in the world knows and wants him or sometimes it's an Eric Cantona where it's just this kind of role player that Ferguson felt that he needed and he plugged him in and it just worked, you know, and he became an absolute legend. And it's like, who doesn't want a club to be able to invest something as little as a million, 1.2, you know, which again, it was a lot back in 92, 93, but, you know, to be able to invest that and then get so much out of a guy, it's just, I think that's the thing that us as, as fans just love and crave you know the fees are insane and we know that and they have been there's a couple clubs out there that will remain unnamed because you and i hate them so much that have ruined transfers in football because paying 225 million dollars for one player it should have been unacceptable and should not have been allowed it's just insane to me and i get that neymar's good he's not 225 million good it's absolutely ridiculous. It hyperinflated the market, and we're still seeing the effects. Well, yeah, and everyone that was a $20 million player was then a $40 million player because all it would be was, well, did you see what PSG spent, right? Or mm-hmm. clubs like City that just spend, you know, we joked about it, Pep's spending a billion dollars on defenders since he's been there, you know? And it's just, I get it, United does it as well, but it's just like we're just going to spend and spend and spend until we get it right. I hate seeing clubs not invest in youth at all, which City does not do, PSG really doesn't do, and literally just have endless amounts of cash that they can just go out and buy the best players in the world. Honestly, I could go and say it's not fair. I don't think I'll get there, but it's part of what is ruining the game of football right now. And it's the best sport ever to exist. 
to know that you know clubs can grow organically and get to a point where a United has got to or a Spurs has got to is what makes me really appreciate it rather than, cool, we had to take over and now I'm just going to inject billions of dollars into this club and you're going to buy whoever you want. Going off of that, there was a small victory today in the fact that the Newcastle takeover is not going through as planned. Nice. Amanda Staveley and her investment uh, consortium of uh, Saudi backers withdrew their bid. Interesting. And they will continue under Mike Ashley's ownership. Nice. So he nice. made 17 million pounds just for uh, allowing them to make a bid to begin <laughs> with. So he's happy. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that Newcastle doesn't deserve success. Mm -hmm. They're a huge historical club. But I think we have all seen the exponentially quick negative effects of oil money in mm -hmm. football in the last 10 years. And it's something that needs to be kept at bay. You know, we can go into like a Lord of the Rings scenario where like, yeah, it might seem in insurmountable at times, but it's important to keep up the struggle against that influence making its mark on the world. And then just pivoting a little bit, you know, to other clubs that have plied the hard trade, Leeds. Leeds have made it back into the Prem after 16 years of being yeah. out, went into administration. They had horribly mismanaged themselves, and they're back under Bielsa, who he himself is an enigmatic talent in the football world. He sure. actually brought Pochettino into Newell's Old Boys, gave him his playing start as well. I did not know that. He observed Pochettino's calves while he was sleeping. <laughs> this is a completely true story. Look this up, anyone who's listening right now. Marcelo Bielsa, while he was still in Argentina, had heard about Mauricio Pochettino, and in the middle of the night, asked his parents if he could look at his legs, and made the decision that they were the legs of a footballer. And so that is how Pochettino made a start, and then the rest is history. So... Leeds are back and overlapping with transfer targets. There is a very kind of obscure article that references Erling Braut-Aland is wanting to win the Premier League with Leeds United because his dad, Alfinga, played there back in the day. And that, that would something? be quite the bizarro future where he makes <laughs> the move from Dortmund to Leeds. Yeah. And you know, follows in his daddy's footsteps. So it's so fun to play the what if game in oh, the yeah. sport. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's very it's very easy and you know, there's so many of those behind the scenes connections, the stuff that you just talked about that a lot of people don't know. And even on Halan, like, you know, Oli, our current coach, was his coach at Molda and it's just like I still refuse to believe that we lost out to Dortmund. I believe in my heart of hearts we said, you're going to go there for two or three seasons and then we're going to come and get you. And I hope that's the case because there's not a better young striker in the entire world than that kid. And uh, watching him play is an absolute delight. I'm a huge Dortmund fan, so I watch him play a lot. And uh, he's just an absolute treat to watch. And uh it was just one of those things where it made too much sense. You know, I'm sitting there like, okay, like you're Norwegian, Ole was your coach, the whole thing, like bring in a striker, all that. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the future has. And that's why it's so fun to follow this stuff. So. Yes, it is. And so, um, yeah, I think that's uh, kind of a, a good wrap up to yeah. the end of season 
uh, slash transfer window talk. There's going to be so much more to talk about in these next two months. And we'll probably dig into maybe a little bit more of the administrative side of the sport and some decisions that have been made recently. And uh, a hint at an upcoming guest who has a bit of uh, research knowledge on financial fair play as well and will be able to give us a little bit of detail in terms of how that type of compliance has its execution in the real world of sports and when money is involved. So thanks again. Um, This has been uh, an extensive episode. Uh, There's a lot to cover just in terms of the last part of the season and then there's always so many storylines that go into the summer and the transition into a fresh season. So keep listening. There will be more episodes. There will be. There will be more episodes. Yeah. We're going to continue to do this. Yeah. We're going to continue to sit here and drink beer and talk about soccer or and football. And so long as we don't slur, I mean, that's really the main thing, I think. I just, uh, again, I'm happy we got a quick turnaround. We're going to be able to continuously not only talk about transfers, but we have Europa Champions League starting soon. We're going to have EPL starting again in about a month a little over a month so and I want to remind people that we have talked almost exclusively about soccer to begin with but I guarantee and promise you that there will be other subjects that we will talk about in the future but uh, as this is kind of the most recent and you know dearest thing to our hearts at the moment uh, we're kind of getting this out of the system and then we'll start balancing things out with uh, music and movies and food so until next time stay safe please stay healthy wear a damn mask please please wear a mask you know I'll leave it at that you know look out for your fellow man it it makes you feel good I promise but Anywho, be well, and until next time, cheers. Peace.